Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. You have arrived. This is The Conspiracy Show, and I am Richard Serrett. Great show for you this evening. A poignant hour of programming coming your way. First, a quick update on my colleague here at Zuma Radio, our flagship station, AM740, my colleague George Genescu, who received an energy healing here on the show last week. George, of course, uh, was told some uh, weeks ago that he had stomach cancer and uh, immediately notified Douglas James Cottrell, a uh, medical intuitive uh, energy healer, a good friend of that program. And uh, Douglas Cottrell was in Spain at the time, and he sent out some healing in- intentions remotely while on tour in Spain. Of course, within days, George's abdominal pain stopped after three and a half months of being in constant pain. And George is convinced it was a miracle. Last week, Douglas Cottrell was here in studio and performed a laying on of hands on George in person. Now, uh, this happened off the air in an adjacent studio, but but George practically toppled over once uh, Douglas uh, laid his hands on him. And, uh, uh, you know, now that the, the the abdominal pains have subsided, Douglas had asked George, you know, what else can I do for you? And George mentioned that he suffers from vertigo, which apparently is very common uh, among uh, people George's age. George is uh, uh, an octogenarian, and uh, he takes pills daily for this vertigo. So he mentioned that this is something that, that, that this is an issue that he's having. So that was what Douglas was concentrating on. And uh, George explained on the air that he felt that heat and energy in his in his head and uh, came into the studio tonight George Janescu informed me uh, that for a, sort of as a trial he was going to stop taking his vertigo medication well he's been off it for seven days no more vertigo all right I'm just going to throw that out there as the evidence continues to mount uh, and let you uh, sort of sort through that and do with it which you, what you will so no more vertigo for George Ginescu. Uh, to be continued. Over a decade after the U.S. and U.K. invaded Iraq in 2003, the military allies have created a joint counter-terrorist team to send to the country. British officers are already on their way to prepare for possible airstrikes, according to the Sunday Times. The Special Air Service of the British Army officers were on their way to Iraq this weekend to prepare the ground for possible airstrikes. Senior defense sources confirmed that military personnel were part of a joint British and American counter-terrorist team ordered in on Friday by William Haig, the Foreign Secretary, and John Kerry, the U.S. Secretary of State. The team is understood to include MI6 operatives as well as high-ranking Special Forces officers, the Sunday Times is reporting. The mission might be a result of options considered by U.S. President Barack Obama, which he announced in an earlier statement. Airstrikes and the use of drones were among the range of possible military options, and the paper confirmed that, saying that SAS, again, that's the Special Air Service of the British Army, the SAS task will be to identify possible targets before Obama decides whether to commit American air power. According to military experts, such special forces teams can target missiles at objects using special lasers, increasing the accuracy of airstrikes. They can also establish the degree of destruction during certain military operations. Now, here's where it gets interesting. With the current crisis in Iraq, 
the U.S. may find itself in a position where it will act on one side with Iran. You heard that correctly. The U.S. may find itself in a position where it will act on one side with Iran to prevent further military gains by what they're calling a too-extreme-for-Al-Qaeda jihadist group. The Iranian president, Hassan Rouhani, has said that Tehran may consider cooperating with Washington to battle the extremist threat. So now, let's see if we can follow this program. The United States, which is supporting Al-Qaeda in Syria to overthrow the regime of Bashir al-Assad, which is an ally of Iran, is now preparing to ally with Iran to fight jihadists that are too extreme for Al-Qaeda in Iraq. <laughs> and I'm still trying to figure out what the first Gulf War and the second Gulf War were all about. What happened between George Herbert Walker Bush and his former business partner, Saddam Hussein? How did that go sour? We'll never know. Why? Anyway, if you're finding it progressively more and more difficult to separate the white hats from the black hats, the good guys from the bad, you're not alone. It's been 24 years since the first Gulf War, and I'm still not sure, I don't think any of us are, what that was all about. But this is the way of the world, of, uh, the, the way of the world these days, isn't it? Up is down. Down is up. White is black. But at least my Blue Jays are struggling again in June, so at least there's something in the world that makes sense. Oh, dear. Uh, we, say, we, we have, as I say, a particularly poignant hour of radio coming your way. It's the story of one woman's remarkable courage growing up in Nazi Germany and surviving the Holocaust. Uh, we're about to hear uh, what she endured and how she survived. But here's also where it gets very interesting. We're also going to learn and, and, and have illustrated for us some of the stark parallels between the early days of Hitler's Germany and the United States 70 years later. Holocaust survivor Anita Dittmann's story is told in a new book entitled Trapped in Hitler's Hell. And it's also a documentary available on DVD. She did, as I say, live through Hitler's rise to power, dictatorship, and death. And she's warning America that she sees now the same conditions she saw then. Anita Dittman, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm just fine. Thank you. And, uh, uh, now, excuse me. Yes. Is Jan Markell on the same line and two tonight? Uh, no, your co-author is not. It's just you, Anita. Just you oh, and I. Okay. Is that okay? Well, I, was hoping Jan, I, hoping, I was hoping Jan is there because she's the one that wrote the book. Well, um, I gave her all the details in 1977 and uh, orally and in written form, and then she went from there, and she's done a remarkable job. Yes, and she, I'm forever grateful. For she it. certainly did, and, but this is your story, so we're, delight, we're oh, delighted yeah, to have you with story. us, Anita. Uh, uh, Anita, uh, uh, now listen, obviously we want to talk about uh, you know what you lived through, how you endured it, how you survived, but I also want to get around to this warning that you're giving us, mm -hmm. uh, that you're seeing a return to those days. Of, you're seeing some, some eerie similarities between the early days of, of Hitler's Germany, the rise of the Nazis in Germany, and what's going on today. And some might say, whoa, that's, that's uh, you know, pretty outlandish. But again, we have to consider the source here. You're someone who lived through Hitler's hell, and now you're seeing perhaps his, uh, history repeating itself. But, but take us back, An Anita, uh, 1933, and um, Hitler's rise to power. Where, what was life like before Hitler 
for you okay. in Germany? Yeah. Well, my we were comfortably wealthy. My father had a very prestigious job in Breslau, Germany, which is oh located somewhat close to Poland, but still in, in East Germany. And uh, we lived in a nice little suburb, and my sister and I had everything our hearts desired, and uh, except Christian nurture. There was none of that. My father was an atheist, and my mother had uh, kind of renounced her Jewish faith and joined the ranks of the intellectuals of her times and uh, was interested in an Eastern religion. So, and yet, we, my sister and I didn't know what we were missing. I was about... <clears throat> I was a young little kid, and my sister was about four and a half years older. But anyway, to make a long story short, God gave me a wonderful gift, among others, and that was of dancing. So my mother enrolled me in a ballet school, and I have to talk about that because it's amazing how the Lord worked his wondrous ways. He, um, uh, I had the uh, opportunity when I was about, well, I started at age four and about age six, I had a chance to finally dance with the big girls, and when the um, and Hitler had already come to power, so the scene of my life began to change somewhat. I know the dance was superbly performed by Anita Dittmann, so the uh, review said in the paper the next day after the dance recitals, and but they said the um, German. Uh, people are no longer be willing to be entertained by a Jew. And in addition, because my father then, when I was that age, had left us, didn't want to be married to a Jewish woman, and that really threw us into the arms of our persecutors. There was no protection. Because some of the people that stayed married, the Aryan part was a certain protection for the Jewish part. Well, to make a long story short, I was very grieved, and I cried a lot, and my mother said, Anita, you're going to have to quit crying. It's not going to get any better. Try to be strong and look around you and see where people are worse off, and there were some already because we already had concentration camps. Somehow my teacher, before this happened, she had promised me, you know, that I'd have a great life, she would help me to become a prima ballerina, and she said at the very last, people will literally worship you. Well, ballet became my life. But that night, when I heard the review after my first dance, solo dance, I was just thought my world was falling apart. Let me take a sip here. <clears throat> and I, it was, I had some playmates, however, who had taken me to church with them. And I was very thrilled to be there. My mother, at least, even though she didn't believe, but she gave me the options. And I loved it in the church, and it was an Easter morning, so invited me to an Easter service. And it was that day, and I was not quite seven, that Christ came into my life, and I get very teary because I am so overwhelmed what the Lord has done in my life and sometimes that really gets me to become very emotional yes. I have to ask you to forgive me that, no that's uh, none, none so required listen uh, Anita let me just uh, jump in here and remind listeners Anita Dittman is with us and her story told uh, in Trapped in Hitler's Hell a young Jewish girl discovers the Messiah's faithfulness in the midst of the Holocaust but we'll, we, 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 we'll uh, also get around to discussing 
her warning uh, that what she sees going on in America right now, there are parallels uh, to what happened in the uh, in the early days of Hitler's okay. Nazi Germany. Uh, Anita, we'll hold on. We'll take a break. We'll come back and continue the conversation sure. with Anita Dittman, trapped in Hitler's hell, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Uh, Anita Dittman is here, and her story is told in the uh, the new book, Trapped in Hitler's Hell. There's also a DVD documentary of the same name. And uh, Anita with us uh, this evening on The Conspiracy Show. Now, Anita, you know, we in, in the 40 minutes that we have, we can't possibly uh, do justice to oh, yeah, uh, your, your remarkable that. story. So what, what yeah. I'd like you to do is let's just talk for uh, when the Gestapo uh, came and, and, and started, you know, taking – Tearing your family apart, essentially, and uh, tell us then can what I happened. Just, can I just quickly finish that at that time on Easter Day that Jesus came into my life, and it was a total wonderful uh, situation. Unfortunately, my mother and my sister didn't believe it, but anyway, I it was from then on, almost age seven, that... Um, <clears throat> My life began to change inwardly, even though it was horrible outside there, you know, in the world. But I had an inner peace that I would not want to trade in for anything else. <clears throat> I um, realized then that God didn't want me to live to be worshipped like my teacher had predicted. He wanted me to live to worship him. Okay. I just had to tell you that. Okay, that's all right. So now, after Germany invaded Poland, obviously things started to spiral downhill very quickly for Jews living in Germany and elsewhere in mm-hmm. Europe. But but what happened to your family when that knock, that horrible knock, came at your door? Yeah, that was, oh, I was about not quite 16 when that happened on uh, January 7th, 1944. After a lot of people in our building had already been picked up, this time it was my mother's turn to be picked up. And I was just horrified when my mother opened the door. And two Nazi guards walked in and grabbed my mother by the coat, set her down in our room because we lived in a ghetto house then um, with four families sharing one apartment. And she had to sign a statement that all the furniture and all the belongings in our room that we occupied were her property. And they put red labels on everything and uh, informed me that the, everything that had a red label on, I was not allowed to touch, and that the next day the um, uh, Gestapo officials from the warehouse would come and pick everything up because this is the property of the state now. And if I wanted anything back, I'd have to purchase it back. Well, I was subjected to heavy factory labor that was poorly paid. I couldn't afford to. Do things, but my mother was able to. Before they picked her up and took her to the gathering place in town, um, they, that they were going to be shipped off the next day. I um, she gave me my father's phone number. He had um, moved to a different city, and she said, "Call him and see if he could help you." And he came the next day, and he did help me, so that I do, didn't lose everything. Yeah, the only thing they would have left me would have been, if my father wouldn't have helped, would be my bed and my personal belongings. 
I didn't know at first where they had sent my mother, but when I found out something wonderful happened, that they were allowed to, oh, maybe once or twice a month, to receive a food package. And I was so blessed that um, I was able to do that. However, our rations were pretty scant, but the Lord helped me to make that sacrifice because my mother made a lot of sacrifices for almost 16 years. And now it was my turn to reciprocate. And I, even though I lived on a very, very, very poor diet, God kept me strong. And uh, I had energy to give away. And I was spared from all the um, flus and colds and epidemics. It's amazing what God can do. It's just almost beyond human understanding. And... Uh, at one point, about six months after they had picked up my mother, I decided that I would not include the dark German rye bread. The, the German bread over there is solid like a rock. You can almost sit on it without making a dent into it. And she was always delighted to have it. But that one morning I woke up and I said, I'm not going to get the dark bread. I'm going to get her Swiebach. And sure enough, Ten days later, I got a card from her thanking me for the swibug because she had been stricken with dysentery, a very dangerous uh, uh, digestive disease, and she couldn't digest the dark bread, and she had literally knelt down by her cot at night and prayed to God to inspire me to send her swibug. And I said, what a hot line to heaven. It's just awesome what God did for me. Where was your mother taken? Theresienstadt was a big concentration camp in Czechoslovakia. And uh, her her sisters also were taken there, were they not? Pardon? Your mother's sisters were also, your mother's sister, your Aunt Kate? No, 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 no. I don't know where they took them because they picked my aunts, three aunts lived up with us. I don't know where they, they were just picked up and we never knew where they went and what happened to them. But no, to, not to Theresienstadt. My mother was the only one that was sent there. And uh, what happened to your mother eventually? Well, my mother, we were separated for about 18 months. And out of those 18 months, 11, we did not hear from each other. I was then, eventually, it was about, my mother was picked up in January, and I was uh, taken to a camp in um August. However, they did not pick me up. They notified me because I had just a little bit of Aryan blood in my veins. You see, that made a difference. And yet, Hitler tried to destroy anybody that had any Jewish, any trace of Jewish blood in their veins. So when I had to go, I had time to think. And I prayed to God. I had Time to think, and so I went to a grocery store, picked up a loaf of bread with a label on one end, trimmed the label off, uh, took a knife, rolled a a letter around the knife, and stuck it way, way deep inside the bread, put the label back on, and then asked one of my Aryan friends that lived in a little ways from me if she would come yet in the evening and pick up the loaf of bread that I had wrapped and send it to my mother because I was shipped off the next day. She did. And I prayed over that loaf of bread that it wouldn't fall into the hands of a Nazi guard because it was a known factor that many times they would help themselves for food 
out of the packages, they were well fed. They didn't need that, out of nastiness. So I prayed, I said, Lord, protect this loaf of bread, because if a Nazi guide would have gotten the bread and found the note in it, they would have killed my mother. Well, I didn't find out until 11 months later that for the very first time, the bed had arrived totally covered with um, green mold covering the entire bread. The Lord put it there so the the bread wouldn't fall into the hands of a Nazi guard. They wouldn't have touched it. So she got the letter. What was written in the letter? In the letter, I wrote to her very gently that I will have to be gone for a little while and not to worry about me. Everything will be okay, and one of these days we will all be together again. And that's all I said. Well, she could read between the lines. and um, But it was so awesome how the Lord even took care of a loaf of bread. Can you help me read in between the lines, uh, Anita? What, what did you mean by that? Well, that I would have to go to a camp and I couldn't continue to send her food anymore. Okay. And, and, and uh, where were you sent? Where did I send it? No, where were you sent? Oh, I was sent to Camp Bartholdt which was a special camp that was organized by the Nazis to put people who had one Aryan and one uh, Jewish uh, parent. And we were about, probably about 300 people to begin with. And the women lived in, it was not, didn't have barbed wire around it. It was in a village, but it was in a place of the village where there were no houses or or anything. We, um, the women were housed in a filthy old cow barn that was never cleaned out and only covered with a thick layer of straw. And our toilet facility was an, facility was an open ditch. The, the men lived uh, just a few yards from us in a horse stable under similar circumstances. We were awakened at four in the morning we were given, this was August oh, 10th when I, was, when I went to the camp, and we wore, we could wear T-shirts and shorts, but we had to wear heavy shoes. We were allowed to bring only a knapsack full of meager belongings. Well, we were given a little cup of instant coffee, that kind of fake imitation coffee, and a piece of bread, and then they loaded us up with shovels, spades, and picks, and we were marched off for an hour. Then we got to an open area, and we were told that we were going to be digging ditches and that we should be so grateful that we can work for the fatherland, you know. It was a special privilege, yeah, right. And we worked about, I would say, 8 to 10 hours in the burning sun. We The ditches were about, I would say eight feet deep and uh, 15 feet wide and then about, I don't know how many kilometers long. And these ditches were supposed to be used as a tank trap, tank trap in case the Russians should be invading the country. Sure. I mean, this this is nearing the end of, uh, of, um, you know, Hitler's reign, obviously, just less than a year later, Germany would would fall. But uh, did did you feel... In 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 a sense, though, that you, what you were doing was you were digging your own grave. I mean, did that thought enter your mind at that time? <laughs> well, <laughs> it crossed our mind, yes, but there's nothing we could do. But um, 
we then, when winter came, we were moved to a different location out in the country again, and we're doing very heavy labor in the forest. Now we were battling the winter elements, and it was tough. And we all contracted lice from the, for the lack of sanitation. It was tough, but then we found out also, and that was around the late of November, that our care, as soon as our work was completed, we would be shipped to Auschwitz to be cremated. So you know, no matter how tough things got, no matter how hungry we were, how cold and wet, and, and it was devastating, but we were just thankful that we weren't in Auschwitz yet. Right. And, and so you had that looming over your head. How old were you at this point? Seventeen. Seventeen. And so you thought that was your future. You were going to be cremated in Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. My Lord. So then, this is really... Now, I don't know if you want me to go on, or do you want to ask me the next question? Or? Well, we are, uh, we're coming up on a break. I, I think what I'd like to do is, um, when we come back, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd like to sort of you know, talk about uh, you know, how, how you managed to survive and why you're yeah. still with us. Uh, what yes, happened to I, your family? And then, uh, then I, I'd like to talk about this warning that yeah. you have uh, for America. That uh, well, I tried to history is repeating my story. itself. Yeah. Well, we, we, let's 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 continue the conversation until uh, until we go into that break. I mean, I mean, how yeah. did you avoid Auschwitz, Anita? Well, <laughs> the Lord did that, and that's what I want to come to. Um, it was about now the um, 23rd of January in the evening that we were all ordered outside with our knapsacks and stand in formation. And it was very, very overcast. You couldn't see a thing. And uh, so there were five girls all together, four and, and I. We had always bonded and we had always said that someday we hope that we can escape. Well, it didn't happen that night. We marched, those of us that didn't escape that night, we marched and marched and marched. I thought they were going to, you know, <laughs> kind of like a death march. Then they found another location farther west. And um, there, again, we did very extremely heavy labor. And my shoes were out, and I was given a pair of shoes with a wooden sole and rough tops, and eventually from all the walking on icing, icy roads and lugging heavy loads of stuff, I rubbed a blister on my heel, not on the bottom, but around the back of the heel, and that blister grew very, very large, about the length of a thumb, and we had no good, I mean, we couldn't wash our clothes anymore, we couldn't wash our bodies anymore. And the blister popped, and dirt got in. And pretty soon, I noticed that my foot was turning color. Oh dear. Okay, I, listen, uh, Anita. I've got. Sorry, uh, forgive me. I've got to jump in here. We'll uh, we'll continue this conversation after this yeah. quick timeout. Anita Dittman, trapped in Hitler's hell, and her warning, seventy years later, to America. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Hey, welcome back. Uh, back to my conversation with Anita Dittman in just a moment. Just wanted to remind you, uh, Jim Mars, uh, the author of Alien Agenda, Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, Our Occulted History, coming here to Toronto. A very rare opportunity to uh, to meet Jim and to hear him speak. I'll be uh, emceeing. Uh, Conspiracy Culture is presenting. This is June 22nd at the Bloor Cinema. Please don't miss out on this rare opportunity to get to see Jim Mars. His first and perhaps last trip to Toronto. And for ticket information, you can uh, call 416-916-1696 uh, or visit conspiracyculture.com for more details. Conspiracyculture.com. Dot com. All right, uh, Anita, you were uh, describing just on the um, the eve of your being shipped to the uh, the death camp in Auschwitz, uh, uh, you developed an infection uh, in your foot. Now, this mm-hmm. somehow led well, to your um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. We were still working in Germany. We hadn't been shipped off yet, but we knew any day it could be. However, I could not let anybody know that I was sick. I started to feel feverish. My foot turned color, and I didn't even dare to limp. And the only person that I told this to were two people because that I trusted because they could have turned me into the Nazi leaders, and they would have shot me, either that or clubbed me to death because people who they thought were not well enough, although I did work, but they would have a good excuse to do away with me. So I, the Lord gave me strength to carry on. Well, then um, the, the 11th of February, the Russians were coming closer, and uh, we were all transported off to another camp. And this camp, when the women, the men were kept behind, and uh, I was so glad that we were hauled off by horse-drawn wagons that were chauffeured by Polish prisoners of war, and we were followed by a couple of guides. When we finally reached our new destination, it, in destination, it was still kind of dark outside, early in the morning. Pretty soon, when we got there, the iron gates swung open, and they were the whole uh, complex of barracks with a smokestack rising into heaven, and we knew exactly what that would be. So that morning, and I'm not going to detail because it's all written very clearly in my book, I it was so amazing. The night before we were, we, we were transported off, we five of us prayed that if it was the Lord's will, would he deliver us out of the hands of our persecutors, and he did. He literally used angels in human form, I would say, to help the five of us to get away. So awesome. I don't have enough time to go into detail, but it was so overwhelming. Every year I realized that, you know, what what the Lord did, and I would read it in my book and recall what happened, and it's just so fantastic what the Lord could do. My entire life, those 12 and a half years, it was one miracle after another. And your mother? And what happened to your mother, Anita? She was still in Camp Tredienstadt because the war had not been over. The Germans were still ruling. And um, uh, I ended up, finally ended up in the home of the in-laws of my um, 
uh, one of the girls had escaped with me, and there had to be transferred to a hospital because the infection had just raged in my body, and I fell into the hands of a Nazi nurse. And under the first surgery, the doctor um, evidently was not a Nazi, but under the first anesthesia, when they drilled holes in my foot to extract the infection because there were no antibiotics, I must have talked because when I woke up, this Nazi nurse that had, um, you know, had been giving me the anesthesia, she found out. I must have talked and revealed who I was and where I came from. And I noticed when I woke up, she said to the doctor, my, my, did that little girl ever talk a lot? And I could tell immediately because she was a Nazi pinder. That means she was a, the member of the party. And she took it out on me. And you see, there was a, a medal for every Nazi that would kill a Jew, and she took that upon herself for six weeks. I underwent, because of what she did and the unsanitary conditions that prevailed due to her, um, I, uh, the infection did not clear up. In fact, got worse. And what she did was horrible things she did. And But yet, you know, when I had my fourth surgery and I had huge cuts in my upper leg so that they put tubes in there from each end, my girlfriend came to see me again and she said, Anita, why did God permit that? I said, don't ask that question. God knows what he's doing. And who knows? My wounds might be my protection. And two weeks later, when the Russians came to town and the fears to town, the fierce battle started, and the Russians came down into the air raid shelter where most of us were herded. Um, they started raping. And when they came to my place where I was, a, a cart that I shared with three other women, they pulled me off the, the cart and threw me on a mattress. And there were men, women, and children in that air raid shelter. And right in front of them, they were going to help themselves to me. But when they saw the bloody bandage, they asked one of the um, student nurses to come over and unwrap the bandage. And when she unwrapped the last bit of the bandage, the pus squirted out of those tubes like a geyser. And I'm not exaggerating. Oh, dear. And there it was what I had predicted. There was your saving grace. My word. Listen, Anita, we've got to take another time out. When we come back, Yeah. we'll find out your warning for America 70 years later. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, Anita Dittmer, Trapped in Hitler's Hell. Stay with us. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740. It's a remarkable story of uh, courage, forgiveness, and faithfulness, and it's all detailed, uh, including all of the horror. Uh, Trapped in Hitler's hell, Anita Dittman is uh, with us, Holocaust survivor. Uh, We've only got, uh, let's say, 12 minutes here, uh, Mm -hmm. Anita, and... You know, I talk a lot about on on this program. I talk a lot about the 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 descent into tyranny uh, mm-hmm. that I see transpiring, not just in the United States, but uh, elsewhere around the world. And uh, for some, I, I know that that falls on deaf ears. They say, "Come on, you're you're being outlandish. You're exaggerating." Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes from a Holocaust survivor. I think we all need to stand up and take notice because you experienced Hitler's hell first firsthand. What what do you see that's happening in America that is so reminiscent of of Hitler's Germany? Well, one thing, and I found that out through Jan Markell, <coughs> and very 
guess I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm clogged up like that. <coughs> uh, Jan and other people who are in the, uh, you know, world, I mean, in the uh, business of testifying for the Lord, I was told that um, semi anti-Semitism is gaining grounds here in the United States. Plus, um, also the less opportunities, less um, witnessing for me in secular schools is almost going getting to the point of non-existent anymore. I used to be able to speak to secular schools and Christian schools alike. Now, I can o- am only allowed to speak in the Christian schools because, and I was invited to speak in a school in Rogers, and um, I was told then, no, if I don't, can't take Christ out of my message, I can't come. And it happened more and more and more. And there's also people that have a Christian radio program in other parts of the United States where they are also being monitored, their conversations are being listened into, and I have some friends who have a, a program in the East. So also, um, like well, I said, it's you've talked, more you've talked. and more and more schools in Minnesota um, are being watched, and uh, the schools are now dictating to the parents that they should not spend so much time with reading the Bible to children. It's too, too scary, and kids are being sent home and punished if they have a Christian emblem or a cross or something on their folders, and it's getting worse that way. Well, you, you've also spoken publicly, um, Anita, about yeah. the this messianic view of the current president of the United States and why you find that's... Uh, and, and we go back to 2008 and, and the campaign. Yeah. Uh, and there were those who... Uh, you know, uh, Barbara Walters, for example, who who used that term messianic uh, when she yeah. referred to uh, uh, Obama, and, I, and and Chris Matthews uh, from M- 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 MNBC, MSNBC, also. Yeah. What, why? What is the parallel there uh, between this messianic view of Barack Obama and what you experienced in Germany what in the 1930s? What do you mean by messianic view? You mean the li- the like dislikes for. Israel? No, they were referring to Obama as the Messiah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, even from Europe came some letters while he was campaigning as the new savior. And that was exactly when Hitler was campaigning and when Hitler started rising. They, well, he made himself the savior. And I noticed also even in the churches, uh, people were very, are very blind uninformed and blind. And well, it's true. one thing, okay, uh, and I'm sure someone has, you know, mentioned this before, Anita, it's it's one thing uh, to have this um, adoration for, for, a, for a figure, for a president. Uh, yeah. But it's another, it's another thing. I mean, Hitler murdered millions and millions of people. Yes, uh, so, I know. So how, could, how can one make the connection between what's going on in the United States now and it, it hasn't gotten to that extreme yet, but the signs are pointing because of 
the control of people and the um, control over families. Even an- another thing, too, is our medical system. Uh, there, there's a chance that older people will not be able to get the treatment that they must have, which is also um, in it's the same in Germany under Hitler. They went after the older people. You know, let's eliminate them, the older people, the Jews, and uh, the kids that were not, you know, mentally ill, born mentally ill, and. Um, I can't understand that good uh, believing Christians in churches even voted for a man like who has that kind of an attitude. Well, I mean, this this process, uh, I call it the sort of the slow, almost imperceptible uh, march towards uh, uh, totalitarianism. I call it a soft totalitarianism. Obviously, we don't have, you know, people running around in brown shirts and and, uh, crystal knock and all of that. Uh, so, I mean, it's far more subtle and far more gradual. Yes. It happened in Germany oh, yes. fairly oh, yes. quickly. But, I mean, yeah. the, when you look at Nazi Germany in the 1930s, an incredibly sophisticated, uh, literate um, a society, progressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did it, I mean, and, and you mentioned that your, your father was a Aryan. So there yeah. was, in, you know, there was intermarriaging, intermarriage between Aryans yes. and Jews and, and so forth. How did it? unravel so quickly? (laughs) I don't know. Well, you know, and what is so odd is that many people in Germany denied that it could ever have happened, and they thought we were lying. Then when he talked about it, oh, Hitler, he would have never done anything like that. And they, you see, they controlled the radio, they controlled the the news media. Well, it's happening here, too. And... um, they kind of blinded people from hearing the truth. And people (laughs) are not, you know, it doesn't take very much, you know, when you make certain promises like uh, Obama did and and Hitler did, people go for that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of uh, President Obama, and I've spoken about that publicly. I I, I mean, I'm uncomfortable making that connection uh, between... Hitler and Barack Obama. I, I mean, I don't think it's 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 the it's the person in the White House. I mean, I think it's the the power structure around him. How do you feel about Could that? Could very well be. Yeah. How do but, I, I mean? But how he do does you, not he does not like Israel? That's for sure. How are other Holocaust survivors that you know? How are they responding to this message that you're giving? Your, your warning that there are parallels? I don't know, because I don't know that many Holocaust survivors. No. I don't. There are quite a few in that, uh, the city I'm living in. is very large, but I do not know. I did go to the Holocaust march on the 26th of April. No, the 27th of April. And, uh, but many people I did not know. What is, what is your worst your worst fear then for America? Uh, what do you see, unless things change dramatically, what, what do you see control. happening? Control. The government is controlling everything. And even, you know, as I mentioned, the, I used to belong to the um, uh, an organization that uh, family and uh, 
I can't remember now, but anyway, I used to support them, and they were working feverishly to have more protection for kids, that they're not going to be controlled and forbidden to do this and that. I mean, there's more and more government controlled in all areas. We have rumors. And and, uh, political and everything. I'm sure you're familiar with these rumors out there that uh, there are these secret FEMA camps. Uh, yeah. What are your What are your thoughts on on on? on I don't know. That? Can you talk a little louder? There are there are rumors out there, and I'm sure you've heard them. That FEMA, uh, the Federal Emergency Measures Agency in the United States, have yeah. these secret camps, internment camps, situated around the United States. Oh, I uh, in, yeah, in I the, heard something, but I don't know any details. But but you've heard the rumors. What are your thoughts as a Holocaust survivor to think that there may be these? these internment camps secretly awaiting some catastrophic, who knows, some event, some excuse uh, to round up people and put them in these camps? I, it sounds horrible. I don't know much about that, to be very honest with you. But I have heard bits and pieces, and it scares me. Yes, it does. What other, what other uh, recent developments? I mean, we had the, the revelations of Edward Snowden, for example, about the, uh, the NSA spying on virtually all of us. Uh, yeah. yep. I mean, let, let, let's talk about Snowden just for a minute. I mean, did that, how did that information uh, make you feel that, that uh, the NSA was spying on virtually every American? It, like I said, it reminds me of Hitler Germany. What would you say to people listening, uh, Anita, who would say, well, it can't happen here. United, the United States is not Nazi Germany. No way, no how, and it's ridiculous to make the connection. What would you say to those people? I tell them, well, you better pray that your illusion <laughs> develops because I'm afraid it's not going to be this way. It's going to happen if we don't watch out. And what can we do, though? I usually, as to Christians or even non-Christian kids in school, when I do, you know, meet anybody, school kids, uh, even the Christian kids, I say, stand up for your faith and don't be afraid that you might be disliked by your peers. Stand up for it and stand up for, for Christ. And I do that, too, and I don't know, someday, you know, I don't know what might happen to me, but there's so much control. And then I mentioned that my friends in the East, they're already being monitored, and uh, they even have wrong uh, names for themselves because they've been uh, receiving strange letters. And I'm sure it's probably happening to many other religious broadcasting. I wonder how long, I wonder how long many of our religious broadcasting networks such as yours and Jan Markell's and others, I wonder how long this is going to last. Well, Anita, listen, I want to thank you for spending some time with us and uh, for those who want to, uh, to hear the full story of what you endured and how you survived and your remarkable story of of courage uh, can read Trapped in Hitler's Hell And uh, there's also a DVD uh, of the same name, Trapped in Hitler's Hell. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Anita. Thanks for inviting Yeah, I wish I could have told the whole thing, but I think people can get it from the book. Absolutely, they will. Thank you. And they could get the book through Amazon, and they can also get the book directly for WND. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Good night. Bye-bye. 
RichardSerrett.com is the website. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. <laughs>